Oh, man. <clears throat> so, I know I, I'm just bringing this up now at the beginning, uh, and, I, and I'm, and I'm going to surprise you with this, but um, do, do you do you have uh, a movie ready for next time? Because I didn't tell you you needed to have one ready. <laughs> uh, you did not tell me that. I know. So I, I know my son. Now of a, I have to. Now, during the show, like you've done before, you have to come up with one as we're talking yeah, about a good, another movie. It's a good thing you told me that before we started this new episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Yeah. Because I need to pick a new movie for us to discover next time. Yeah. Um, but, but of course, yeah. we're back once again <laughs> with a brand new episode. And I'm Andrew Cabral, and I'm always with my co-host, Stephen Billings. Hello, people. and uh, Hello, everyone. And uh, if you didn't hear last week, we had uh, Dan Skip Allen on for our uh, best of 2020, our favorites of 2020. So you should go yes. check that out if you haven't yet. And you can check that out on Apple Podcasts or, or Podbean. Um, and uh, yeah, please give us a like or, or comment. Let us know what you think of, of what we're doing. Uh, we're going to do it anyway, uh, whether you like it or not. But uh, very yeah. true. But uh, we we'd uh, like to hear yeah, from you. It was our <laughs> yeah, it was our top ten top ten of the year of 2020. I almost said of the year, but we are well into 2021 now. It is towards the end of February of 2021 already. It's going to be March in a week or so. Yeah, it's my birthday in a few uh, weeks. Nice. Yeah. Nice. When's your birthday? Uh, March 11th. Oh, nice. I think we're doing it. I think so, yeah. I think we're set up to do an episode that weekend, maybe. Oh, that's gonna be a celebratory. Yeah, weekend yeah, yeah. Then. Maybe we should do movie ab- movies about birthdays. That, that'll give you an idea. <laughs> I guess I, I, that's a that's a research. I know, right there. That might be a little bit too hard to figure out during the episode. Yeah, it may be a little <laughs> bit too hard to figure out now off the top of my head. Um, but oh, right here, sixteen 20th? candles. Sixteen candles. Oh, damn! Yeah, I just gave it away. Candles. No, I'm just kidding. Pick uh, something else. Not a great. I'll be honest. Not a not a great film. Doesn't quite hold up. <laughs> well, it doesn't have doesn't to be a good movie. Me, g- we don't have to talk. Give me some pretty. We don't have to talk about good movies pink. every time. That's true. Know? I guess that is also very true. But it is nice to be able to explore movies in a more positive way than negative way. There's a lot of nugget negativity in the world. Uh, that, that is true. A lot of negativity. Yeah. Um, but today, we might as well go get into it right away, or. No. We, did, we, we um, didn't tell you what we were going to do this week because we... No, because yeah. we didn't know until a couple of days ago, or at least a week ago yeah. or so. Um, Steven came up with the idea. He was he pitched... Well, he didn't pitch this movie to me. I had seen it already, but I, it was just something that I was surprised. Like, oh, you want to talk about that? Sure. I want to hear what you have to see, but I want to hear what you have to say about it because this is Steven's first time watching this particular movie, and this movie is The Watermelon Woman, directed by Cheryl Dunier. And it's probably a film many of you may have never heard of before. It's a movie I had never heard of before until 2018, that long ago, uh, which was three years ago. <laughs> Time is a funny thing. I can't believe that's three years ago. And yeah, this is a movie that I didn't know existed until then. And it's it's we're going to get into it. But Stephen, how did you come across this movie and what made you want us to talk about it? on this episode well i mean first off um you know it is it is february and we're celebrating black history month and um you know you know i think we should be celebrating you know black history all year it shouldn't really matter but right but society has deemed this a month that we really celebrate um black filmmakers and this cheryl Dene is a is a black filmmaker not only a black filmmaker but a, a lesbian uh, filmmaker. Yes. So, um, yes, she is. and uh, if I'm not mistaken, she is the first female lesbian 
filmmaker that we know of, right? Uh, that's had a film put out. Uh, not um, she, she is. Um, I might have well, misread a a a fact. She's the fir- I think she is the um, the first open uh, black lesbian filmmaker. Sure, there, yeah. Uh, to make a movie, yeah, I believe. I don't know why it's no longer in the trivia, but it, um, I, I, yeah, I'm just looking at IMDb. Usually, like some of that's in the trivia, yeah. but it apparently is not. I thought that's I where I read it, but um. But yeah, I mean, a lot of what I, you know, I, I started out, you know, deciding to do this because of that. But I first heard about this movie, um, I, you know, I've, I think I've used this as a uh, crutch before. But um, I listened to a podcast called Critically Acclaimed, and they brought this up on an episode. Um, of somebody had written in about this movie, and then they checked it out and loved it. Um, so I was like, well, I mean, if they think it's good, it's good enough for me. So I want to check it out and I, and you know I had heard this film had somewhat of a um kind of meta quality to it um and I'm I like stuff like that so and it's in the 90s and I'm a 90s kid and it's um you know I've heard it, it, it and then I heard it was some of it had videos some stuff about video stores and I'm like I love video stores you know I want to so I wanted to check it out I had a lot of things going for it that I that made me interested so um yeah I mean I can tell you right now, um, this movie for for people that had have not heard any, like me going in completely basically blind, um, this is a very lo-fi movie. Um, if you're not into that kind of like style, um, where it's almost kind of like video quality, like video camera quality, not like high def cameras, then maybe this isn't for you. But I'm telling you, the subject matter uh, is worth a watch. Um, but oh yeah, I think it's uh, to be honest. Watching it a second time, I found myself getting more and more out of it. Now that I've learned a lot more about the history of black cinema, yeah. and and really what this film is exploring with that, and also how how she's able to incorporate such a unique style into doing it. And like Stephen said, very lo-fi. This movie was made for three hundred thousand dollars in. The mid nineties, and it was this movie came out in nineteen. Technically, came out in nineteen ninety six, but I believe that was only at the Berlin Film Festival and the Toronto Film Festival. It didn't get like a theatrical re- release until early nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. So we're talking mid nineties, independent, you know, um, guerrilla style cinema, and it's a really interesting. Not even like a it's it's like quasi time capsule of a movie. It's almost like a faux documentary, faux cinema verite. It's really unique. And it's and it's part of several movements that were happening in cinema in the nineties. It's part of the new queer cinema, because like we said, Cheryl Dunier is a gay woman and her films were very um were were, were all about that. If you look, she had a lot of short films that she did starting her career in the early 90s, starting her career around 1990, actually. Um, all of her films were, were about um, kind of sexual relationships between uh, gay, uh, you know, homosexual people and stuff like that. And she was really, really um, open about that. Like, Stephen, like you saw, yeah. we'll get into in this film, very just... Not, I wouldn't even say graphic, just honest. Yeah. <laughs> Very honest about sexual interactions between 
sexual people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's really refreshing to see that, especially in a world where in cinema, typically a lot of that stuff is shied away from. Even now, even in today's modern society, people are afraid to show interactions between a homosexual or, or LGBTQ a plus people on screen or if they do it they do it very quickly or they try to hide it or imply it no she's right out there just showing it because it's a natural part of her life and the life of you know people in general so her films are very much part uh, very much have that similar style and it's really fascinating to go back and watch that and she, like I, she was not only part of the new queer cinema she was also part of the kind of american independent cinema of the 90s which we did a whole episode yes. on <laughs> with where you got people like kevin smith quentin tarantino robert rodriguez um steven soderbergh et cetera, et cetera. just mounds of people you know, you know coming out of the woodworks making smaller independent films people who you know some went to film school some didn't go to film school but they were really getting their their start at places like film festivals like sundance or slam dance or whatever dance you want to go to yeah yeah and dance dance and, another way uh, dance dance yeah yeah oh yeah <clears throat> and, a, and a lot of that was because the tech technology grew you know um so it gave a lot of people opportunities to make right. movies when they couldn't have before and that's that's a lot, a lot of what this, I mean, this movie's, uh, the ability to make this movie that we're talking about today was, I think, because of that, you know? I mean, you, you can tell it was definitely made uh, for the, it looks like on, on video, like videotape. Oh, yeah. yeah no, it's not. It, it, I actually, I don't know. It may have been shot on film, but I don't know. I don't, it I looks don't pretty lo-fi. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the film, the, the see, that's the thing is right. that there's two different styles working in this movie. A lot of it's... Seems like it could have been shot on film, but then there's parts of it that are the documentary style that I right. think were were shot on video. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it, so so should we get into it? Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to look up that quote that I saw. For some reason, it's not on any. I don't know. It was weird because when I when we first talked about the movie, it it was in the trivia of. IMDb and now it's not where this was the first like theatrical film from an openly uh, black lesbian woman um, and I think that's the quote the, the, I, we're not exact on that but trust me it's a groundbreaking film for LGBTQ people in cinema and this was only 1996 so I wanted to make that point like yeah. really clear because it's kind of important because that was only uh, what are we talking 25 years ago now yeah I can't believe it's been 25 years since, like, 1996, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> um, but, yeah, let's get into it. It's it's not a long movie. This movie is, like, 85 minutes long or so. Yes, yes. And, yeah, let's, um, yeah, let's get into it. So, Cheryl Dunier not only uh, wrote, directed, but she also starred in the film as a character that is kind of uh, herself in a way. It's almost like a self-biographical film because the the backstory about making the movie is that when Cheryl Dunier was in college and she was like studying, I believe like um, black cinema and stuff like that, she would oftentimes come across uh, movies that had, you know, black actors and actresses in them, but they wouldn't have any credits. Yeah. And if they did have credits, they would only be credited as like just some made-up name, some random, yeah. like 
character description, not even a not even having a name. And this is something that went on a lot in early um, cinema. Went went on a lot. If you think, you know, there's only a few very prominent early uh, cinema actors and actresses that really pop that really like were remembered people like uh the most prominent is probably hattie mcdaniel and that's because she won an oscar for being uh in gone with the wind yeah and it was done at a time where you know uh, black actors and actresses really weren't featured in movies at all they were background characters and way background characters they were maids servants butlers you know, workers, whatever they didn't—they didn't really have any prominent roles. Um, but there's—I mean, there's so many things we could get into. But there was a whole, um, there was a whole black cinema, you know, that existed back in the the thirty, the twenties and thirties and teens and stuff like that. And I've actually recently got into that. Remember that Kino Blu-ray box yeah. set that came out a few years ago, or was it? Um, uh, was it Pioneer, early, early Pioneers after? of Black Cinema? Yeah, it was like Pioneers of Black Cinema. And it starts with, yeah, Pioneers of African American Cinema from 1915 to 1946. And it's and it's got a lot of short films. It has a lot of stuff from the silent era. It has a lot of just really, you know, interesting, interesting special features about the history of black cinema. But I, the reason why I want to say all that, because it very much feeds into not only the background for the plot of this movie, but really the plot of this movie at its heart is about that. Because Cheryl Dunye's character in this movie, she's making a film about this watermelon woman, just called The Watermelon Woman. And it's a woman that she found in like an old like 1930s movie. And she just became fascinated with this watermelon woman. And she's trying to discover who she was in her life and all that kind of stuff. So that's so that's like just back really rough rough backstory for that. So plot here we go. <laughs> the movie opens up, and Cheryl is recording is is filming a wedding. Yeah, with her with which, her friend. Which I can tell you from experience, I've done not necessarily weddings, but I've done live events, and it's it sucks. <laughs> like doing I was thinking of you when I'm watching this yeah. movie because they do that a couple of times and I'm like I've never done it but I know Steven has done it yeah. and I'm like how big of a pain in the ass is shooting dude, live doing li- I mean and then later in the movie they're doing like a concert or something it, dude it sucks because you're coordinating with, with multiple people and you know they're, they at least have headsets I don't have headsets to talk with like the other cameramen you're just all trying to do the best we can in a crowded room, crowded area. And, and, um, it's, it can, and then just the editing process afterwards is just a bitch. Um, but so I feel their pain at the beginning of this. Um, and you can tell one person's more invested than the other. <laughs> Cause Cheryl Dunay's got her, got her friend with her, uh, uh, t- yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, and that, it's her friend who works at the video store with yeah. her. And they're just, like, kind of going back and forth about, like, not arguing, but, like, you know, friendly friendly arguing, if you will. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, Basically, uh, like, our friend wants to get paid, and Cheryl's like, yeah, yeah, I'll pay you, whatever, yeah. And basically, this is, like, their side their side job. Yeah. And and just, and we're talking, like, rudimentary-type camera work. I don't know, I remember when I was little, um, my 
parents or my dad had a cam had a camera a camcorder or whatever. Uh, yeah. Not, this is actually I before, used to have one too. Four yeah. camcorders. I used to have I'm one of a, a video a VHS camcorder. Yeah, they had those. My dad had the little oh, uh, what are they high eights? Yeah, yeah. High yeah. eight tapes. Like we're talking like nineteen Di- digital tape. Like camcorders. <laughs> yeah, like nineteen eighties camcorder tapes. And I and I and I keep saying camcorder, but camcorders I don't think it happened until the nineties. Yeah. Uh, where like you know the little handheld camcorders you could roll around with. My aunt was one of the first people I ever saw who had one. She had a Sony, and basically that's kind of like the modern day, like small camcorder cameras are all based off of that. But this think of like '90s like cameras and stuff like videotape, yeah. <laughs> and it's not great quality. And what's kind of cool about the movie, like Steven said, is you get very you get a lot of shots that are almost like POV shots. Of what it what it is to look through that camera, and it's just a, like a real blast from the past. Yeah, uh, you know, for for me, and I think it's probably gonna be it's gonna be weird to a lot of people who haven't seen that type of technology before. Um, but yeah, they they're they're recording this wedding, and basically they um they yeah, and then Where it's a just them wants like to get kind paid, of, and and he she like cuts her a little bit short on her pay because. Right. She's going to take, I think, money to reinvest in her film project. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, is what we've been talking about. Um, she's she's uh, gotten interested in this woman she finds in the movie, which the movie is called... It's called Plantation Memories. Yes, yes. And, we, and, I, and I have to be, you know, we have to mention this. Um, it's a fictitious movie. It doesn't y- exist. Yes. <laughs> the, the thing about this movie is, is, is a lot of... This movie, she, you know, like we said earlier, Cheryl D- uh, Denier said a lot of the things about her are, are autobiographical. But the the idea of this this character that she, this watermelon woman is is fictitious. Um, she had to create it because the sad thing was was that there was no factoids about black actresses or actors at the time. Like there was not any real anything that she could really do anything with. Um, at the time, yeah, and, yeah, and there was no even in the nineties. There's no, you know, databases or, well, there are databases, there are archives and databases, but they're all physical. Yeah, mo- so there there were go, some computers, but there was it was very rudimentary at the time. Oh, I, I'm, I'm I'm talking like physical like archives, yeah. like libraries you had to go to or universities you had to go to to look things up and to get and, and to learn stuff and a lot of people still do that kind of um that old school reference work now um but because then in the late in the mid to late 90s the internet was just really starting we're talking dial up yeah we're talking AOL. We're talking yeah. the, those those little CD-ROM things that they would send you in the mail. Get you know God. ninety days of AOL four point version four point or whatever, and basically, and that was kind of it. But there was no even at the time. I don't think there was huge, massive information databases on the internet quite yet. No. Quite yet. Um, that stuff would probably come about. You know, I would say more two thousands at least in my opinion, um, but. Basically, for her to do all of this, you know, inform, you know, research and legwork, she's got, she's got to, you know, move around. She's got to go and interview. She's got to touch. She's, she's got to go to the go, library. She's got to. She's got to go to certain archives, certain industry, certain groups of people that have um, curated information, that have gathered information, and it's really 
fascinating. And granted, the one the one thing I do have to say about the movie in a, not even a negative sense, but like she kind of just keeps it's a very localized movie. It basically takes place around Philadelphia yeah. and New York. And just the idea that she could kind of like find all these links to the past, like right around her corner, seems a little easy, but it just it works for the sure, movie. Sure, yeah. It's more about the discovery than the than like the actual, you know, where she gets the information and stuff like that. But Back to what we were saying. She is fascinated with this movie called Plantation Memories, and there's this black actress simply known as the the Watermelon Woman, and her documentary is going to be about it. Yeah. So About her and her life. Yeah, and so I think after that, after we get them kind of talking about, uh, you know, the, the you know what she's going to do with her, her friend's $50, I think it was $50 of extra money that she's going to direct back into the project, um, I think that then we see her go to her job for the first time. Ah, uh, the good old 90s video yeah, store. Yeah, so we see her in the video store, and I think in the first scene we see her, um, and didn't she get hit on by a customer, or does she hit on a customer? Is this where we, is this where we meet Gwyneth Turner for the first time? Uh, maybe that's a little movie? later. That might be a little later. What we learn, no, I think that's, yeah, I think that's a later scene, but what we learn now is that they're both working there, and we also learn that one, it's a, it looks like a video rental store. Yeah. I think it is. Because I don't think it's a video purchase store. No, it's a rental um, store. Yeah, it's a rental store, almost like like a blockbuster or even something a little smaller than that. Um, and what we learned, what we also know is that they have this uh, like rental scam. Yeah, where they basically are are able to rent movies for free in quotes because they just use like like random me- random people who have memberships there. They use it under their name. And then I guess they just to preview them and then return them. Yeah. Um, so. But you'd think if they yeah, work, we you'd a, think if they worked there, they would already get stuff for free. Yeah, that's what I. <laughs> I never worked in a rental store, but I always thought that, that would be one of the perks. You'd think, yeah. I yeah, I don't know. I guess all the I, I guess all I know is I'm, yeah I guess the guy's just really cheap, so they don't they don't, he doesn't. Yeah, the guy's kind of an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we do yeah yeah so they they um so they're working there and then her friend just like. Is like make not I would say making fun of her like yeah why you what you, you watch all these old movies you know these old boring ass movies and it's like no one no wonder why you don't have a girlfriend because you're, you're always watching these boring ass movies and stuff like that and and it's, and she's so happy she's like oh look at more movies with the watermelon woman in it <laughs> and one of it's called Jersey Girl coincidentally <laughs> um I just think that I just found that was funny well one thing um, we but, we also realized too is that her friend uh, Tamara is is a little bit more. Um, She's more interested in, uh, you know, sexuality uh, than her. Yeah. Yeah. This film is very open sexually, like I said earlier. And it, you know, just two people talking about, like, sex and stuff. I mean, like, that, that's kind of normal talk for many, many people. And one of the, and one of the ways mean? we. Two, two young people, yeah. probably what, in their, looks like mid 20s or so. Yeah, yeah. You know? But they, but, you know, she's always trying to get uh, Cheryl to. To go out with her and and and, and, yes. and you know she's got a blind date she's been getting our blind dates and um, yeah she tries to yeah she's got like a like um, Tamara has like a kind of like a girlfriend yeah they were def- definitely a girlfriend and they have a f- and then her girlfriend has a friend so she hooks up Cheryl on a blind date with uh, a woman called Yvette and they go out to like this restaurant club with karaoke. Yeah, like a jazz bar kind of deal. Like a jazz bar type thing. And this vet person 
is just really what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, annoying. Is it annoying? <laughs> yes. And it really, and it just and they really just they don't really hit it off. And she's a very. She looks like one of those people. I don't know. I don't know if you ever come across these people who are very unaware of just how they have, just uh, like very unaware of their surroundings and like the effect they have on people and just how to read people and all those. You, you come across these people, and these those are some of the people I try to stay away from. Uh, yeah, <laughs> in it's either it's either a. a... It's it's a complete oblivious ignorance, or yeah. or it's like they're so self confident that they are ignorant in that way too. Um, right, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with self. There's nothing wrong with self confidence, but there's also but there, a sense of of making between, other people uncomfortable if you're not understanding. There's a line between self, you know? yeah, there's a line between self confidence and conceitedness yeah. and obliviousness to other people. You know what I mean? Just being so involved in your own in your own self that you don't see the world around you. Um, but she's kind of like that. And there's a really funny scene where she tries to go, she goes to like sing karaoke and she's just so bad yeah. at it. And they're all sitting there and they're all like, and oh, she tries to, she tries terrible. to make herself seem more important by saying she, she auditioned for a Spike Lee movie. Yeah. She like yeah. in college she auditioned for a Spike Lee movie and she didn't get it and stuff like that. And it's anywho, that was just one scene. And I'll say this about the movie. The movie feels rather fractured when it comes to the way the scenes are lined up. Yeah. Like some scenes like are like seconds long and some scenes are like full scenes. And then some scenes feel like random, like, well, that's kind of random. I don't know what that has to do with anything. And then some scenes push the plot along. It's a really guerrilla style, like, you know, like Steven said, like low budget, you know, type of movie. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a and, lot of stuff that just seems to be like I'm, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but filler. No, no. Um, yeah, there, there are yeah. scenes of them just like hanging outside in the city, dancing, or like just having a good time with each other, and and I think that that is just I I don't know. I mean, with maybe more views, I could maybe understand them scenes, them shots better. But um, I, th- I yeah, I read them as They're just being like- ways of showing. Just showing their relationship together. Yeah, they're almost know. like br- they're almost like bridge scenes. Yeah, they're like bridge like bri- bridging bridge, break like, breaks. You know, like yeah, kind of. I don't know what the word is for, another. but like in Austin Powers, where they have the little shots where he's like dancing and singing, and then he's like, "Yeah, baby, yeah," and then it goes off to the next <laughs> thing. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> kind of. They're yeah, like they're like yeah, dance like, breaks. They're almost like they're almost like act breaks. Yeah, yeah. Or something like they're that. They're like, like transitional dance, like transitional like things that you would put in. Except something. for they're longer, but, they're longer. But they're longer. Yeah. It's I tell you, this movie is really unique in that. And, in I, that and, and I'll be honest with you, I, it, and this is just my perspective, being somebody that has edited things and has made things. I would assume the way that this, the the the, the flow of this movie is by mistake. <laughs> mm. uh, I don't. Okay. I, I I think that something that is this lo-fi and and you know this low budget the way that the movie ended up being edited together was probably by mistake it wasn't in the plans to make it like flow the way it did but it's one of them things where oh but yeah but i'll say this the movie is not it is it it is 
kind of avant-garde. Because it's fractured. It's fractured. It's a fractured. It's fractured, but it does flow in a specific direction. It, it, yeah, it, it's not. It's not non-linear. No, I'm not. I'm not, not like I said. I'm not trying to say this in a negative way, but I think right. that the the way that the movie flows is a is just a um, is just a, a happenstance of how the movie ended up turning out. Like it's just right. what ended up working for the movie. It was was to get rid of a lot of st- fat that probably didn't need to be there. Like for instance, something like this reminds me of something like breathless, um, you know, where breathless can, I think the French film, if you don't know what I'm talking about, right. can have that fractured feel to it. Also, it like jumps around. It does feel very much like French new wave, you know? Okay. Yeah. That make that, that, that paints a better picture yeah. than what we've been saying. Yeah. It, yeah. it kind of hits what, the moments it, that are important to the, to the themes of the, story and then it leaves everything else out it doesn't like to Miranda mer- 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 you know meander, meander around and oh, yeah because the film is cut pretty much to the bone like yeah. I said, 85 minutes long is pretty that's a pretty streamlined movie yeah. but i think uh, it works for its style you know it, oh yeah, yeah i think it i think it definitely works for its uniqueness and its style and i find myself really enjoying it and it, it it's just part of the that mold of movies in the 90s where like you watch them and you're like yeah, I could probably make a movie like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it feels like an accessible movie from a technical standpoint. You know what I mean? I, like I some, like how like how when Kevin Smith saw Slacker for the first yeah, time, yeah. he's like, and he's like, "Wow, I can actually make a movie." Well, I mean, I, or when people saw Clerks for the first time, they, people were like, "Hey, I can actually make a movie." Yeah, there's always you know? like, I mean, for, like going back to Breathless, there's always a movie that kind of like is the birth of the next thing, and then mm, everybody starts right. to imitate that thing. Um, and right, then, and then right. people seem to build off of what was like the kind of um, the 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 almost the low though it doesn't mean it's the lesser of a film but the lower right. common denominator version of that style and then they build off of that and make it even more you know cleaner and more uh, streamlined and it looks right. better than that movie like somebody did that movie I'm sure like, somebody's probably made a movie very much like Watermelon Woman but years later and it seems more like smooth and it seems yeah, polished you polished yeah you know yeah this film does have a lot of rough edges yeah. i don't think there's any doubt about that um but i guess that kind of gets us to the next scene here speaking of you know just think moving things along yeah. um so this is I, I guess we'll go to the scene where she meets Gwyneth turner yeah sure that makes sense um so she's working at the store at the at the at the um yeah, she's working at the video store. She runs into uh, Gwyneth Turner's character, who, what's her name in the movie? Is it Gwen? Because that would just make things very, <laughs> no, very easy. Isn't it like Al- Amanda or Allison or Diana? Diana. Pff, I'm way Diana, off. Yeah, is her name Diana Rollins or something like Sounds that? Sounds about it. Rollins. Like... It is Rollins. Yeah. Uh, and she, so she's looking for a couple of movies because I guess they're having some type of like, what's it like? Well, she, she's trying to, buy, she's trying to like, come up with a double two, feature. get one for free. Yeah, rent two, get one for free or something like that. There's some deal going yeah. on. And she wants, she's looking for two movies. She needs some recommendations. And Cheryl Dunier starts re- uh, recommending her uh, some movies and stuff. And this is the, and look, this, and, and look, you can have your debates about whether video stores are necessary or not. Right. Um, and and people, some people question that, you know, because it's like, well, why would I need to go to a video store when I can just go and stream it online, blah, blah, all that stuff. But this is the kind of stuff that excites me about what, you know, wanting to have video stores and even wanting to work at one is that you can try to inform people on, you know, and help 
guide people to see certain films, which is kind of what we try to do here on, on this podcast. And, right, yeah. you know, and, and in general, in general, yeah. I mean, just, just talking movies and just knowing about movies and recommending movies to people. And I don't do it out of like, Oh, I know everything. No, it has nothing. Movie, so I could tell you about it. No, it's, it's not like, a pretentious hey, I thing. Think you, this movie's awesome. I think you like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know and, and, I mean? and, and, you know, and we can quickly, this is a quick point I want to make real quick. Uh, Got it. <laughs> say quick again. I'll say it quick one more time. Um, do it. But, we we've seen an article come out recently with Martin Scorsese where he talks about cinema. Once again, he had, you know, he's in the news about talking about right. cinema. So he's always stirring the pot. stirring the pot, but he talks about how, you know, uh, our look at um, cinema has changed and how we, you know, have almost it's gotten it's up to us to to keep um what's what's the word i'm looking for uh keeping keep them keep cinema moving forward keep keep it flourishing right. and keep it growing and and um it can't be left up to the industry which is all about making money to, to keep it progressing so we have to keep talking about the stuff that we love and the stuff that's interesting for it to actually be moved forward in the right direction yeah to be kept alive yeah and well, he talked about the idea of like curation versus algorithms yeah, yeah. when it comes to streaming. For most platforms, I mean, I watch the Watermelon Woman on streaming um, because that's where it's mostly available. Yeah, and I watched. Um, I when I first watched it, I watched it on the Criterion Channel. Yeah, I believe, and it and and on the Criterion Channel, he specifically mentioned it. Is whether it's Criterion Channel, whether it's Turner Classic Movies, or or whatever, most of those collections and the way those movies are cre- are put on there is 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 from curation, which means that they are they're picked for a reason. Yeah, you know what I mean. They're picked for whatever thematic reason or clumped together for whatever reason. But when it comes to things like Netflix or Hulu or whatever, those places are more algorithm based. So they're based off of like. I don't know calculations and formulas well, I mean, and the, the, based off of like hey or based off of like you know what you may like versus hey there are these movies that are amazing and they're all you know in here together you know watch them you know what I well, mean yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's all it's all about rough it's rough it's a rough explanation it's here. it's 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 more based off of it's it's simplifying your 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 interests into categories of like um, you know, horror movies or this, you know, uh, slashers, you know, it's, it, it, your likes. It's and- box. Yeah. The algorithms kind of box you into certain recommendations yeah. and it doesn't help us as viewers or else as movie watchers or movie lovers to grow our palate or to discover, you know, cinema That's discovery the- project, yeah. discover other movies and other places and other things. Because it's just going for something specific, and of course, I mean? then and, and then of course, a lot of these streaming services are only keeping up with what is n- newest, popular, and which is what is popular. Yeah. So their selection is not going to be actually broad enough to give you a wide. Even if it is going off of their ag- algorithms, it's not going to be right. broad enough of a of a curation to actually give you something uh, that's of you know wide range from the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, it's going to give you in the last 20 years, you know, it's going to give, you know, it's going to, it's going to give you the newest thing. Um, And so back to what this movie is, is this is an example right here of why 
what Scorsese said in that article is very important. You know, this is an example where she's asking for a movie and she's like, hey, look, what would be good to go with? I can't remember what movie was it. What was she watching? Yeah, I don't know. There were, um, oh, goodness, I can't remember. Was it was, well, she recommended, oh, God, I can't remember. She, but, but Cheryl doing, Cheryl recommended to pair, um, Repulsion and Carrie together. Yeah. It, well, and then well it was, no, it was, it was Repulsion and something else. I thought it was Carrie. No, well, Carrie was her first suggestion. And then to, to pair it with whatever the movie was that she had. Um, okay. And then, and then it was, you know, from there, um, well then, it, well I remember because Gwyneth returns that she didn't like to see Spacek. She was too yeah, pale. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't like. I don't like. I just can't remember what the movie was like that. that she had already. Oh, I, can't. I wish I could bring up the movie yeah. now. But um, and, but anyway, but 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 what we're trying to say is that they is that. What we're trying to say. We're what trying we're to trying say, to say like, is that video is that, store. We're trying to kind of take that video store mentality and bring it into the modern world, into modern cinema viewing, or movie viewing, and it's. You know, it's kind of tough. It's, it's really tough because tough. everything's being, being you know, curated for you in, in a yeah. very, um, you know, shallow way is the best. I'll say this, yeah. though, uh, Stephen. Uh, not, not, I'm not going to put a kibosh on this whole thing, but I'm just saying, like, uh, one, of, one of the most frustrating things is when people know that you're a big movie fan and they ask you for recommendations, like, hey, give me a good movie to watch. And you're like... I'm going to need a little. Off, I'm, going to, I'm going to need a little bit more information on that. Yeah, because you know my my <laughs> like what, my. Like what, like, like what, for me, a good movie is like I don't know a 1940s film noir. For you, that may not be your. Yeah, thing. it's tough, yeah. man. I mean, and 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 and, it, and I, it's tough. You know, it's tough being somebody that is invested as much in is in movies as much as we are, and trying to have conversations with people that don't have that. That's tough. that outlook, and, I mean, not, not and to, to sound, not, that, and not, not to, to seem like elitist. assholes, like yeah, not to sound elitist, but it is kind of tough to not feel, to not yeah, to not to not come off as an asshole, like you said, to not to, to not come off as elitist, because uh, it's never never really my intention. I'm just super passionate and super. It's kind of weird. It's... Literally, I live, breathe, and eat movies yeah. from the time I go to the time <laughs> I wake up to the time I go to bed. It's it's, it's kind of weird that that trying to have an, an uh, intellectual trying to be intellectual about something like this like film is is frowned upon or in, i mean honestly it, it happens with a lot of things not even just film but trying to be yeah. trying to be smart about anything these days uh makes they just put you down as being pretentious i get and you know what's crazy about that we're going off on a tangent so reel me back in <laughs> is that us growing up we were taught at least what I was taught or what I perceived to be, you know, the way the world was teaching me is that education is everything. Yeah. Get Go to school, go get a college degree, be smart, you'll get a great job, all this kind of stuff. Yet, yet like you just said, Stephen, being intelligent now is considered frowned upon. Now everybody's education what? is based off of what... The mob like, oh, thinks you're, you're, on social yeah, you're, media. You're an el- yeah, it's like, oh, you're an elitist because you watch Criterion movies from the 30s or something yeah. like that. Or you're an elitist because you want to have a discussion about, you know, racial representation in movies from the 20s and 30s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this movie, like, like you know, just to bring it back to uh, The Watermelon Woman, this movie's trying 
or attempting to to have a deep discussion about the lost, you know, representation of you know black actors and actresses in film in the twenties and thirties and even forties, and it's just you know trying trying to you know have an intellectual discussion about movies, just movies, is tough to have sometimes, but. We can still do it here on the yeah, Cinema Discovery Project, of course we can. which we do. And um, so she helps her out with some movies, and yeah. they don't really. At first, they don't really. They can't really come to terms on what she wants, because um, she, like you said, Is she doesn't like Carrie, and she doesn't know if she wants to watch Repulsion, and you know, blah blah. So okay. yeah. So then she kind of leaves her, and then she goes back to the counter, and her friend Tamar's like, "Who's that hottie?" You know, like yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, though like, she yeah, is a white girl, banter. she's hot for a white girl. You know, like yeah, it's like. <laughs> Yeah, well, one, if you noticed the way in which Guinevere Turner's body language was in that whole exchange, she was very much, I mean, for the lack of better term, uh, you know, attracted to or, che- or quote-unquote, checking out Cheryl's character. Yeah. Just the way in which she was looking at her, she looked at her right when she walked away, just the, the body language and the look of it, you know, was telling, and I think it was done purposely. Yeah. You know, to really, you know, indicate that she was interested in Cheryl's character. Yeah. And I don't know if Cheryl noticed it initially until her friend, you know, told her about it. And sometimes that can happen where sometimes your friends notice things that you don't notice. Or sometimes they can be very wrong. Of course. (laughs) They could be super wrong. I've seen swingers. Sometimes your friends can be wrong about that. (laughs) (laughs) But Um, um, then she gets back to the counter, and after that little exchange, um, I I think what the boss has introduced a new employee. What a a guy. (laughs) What a guy. Such an asshole. But there's a new— He's always getting on—he's always picking on Tamara about about something. Yeah. Um, So there's a new employee, like she even said, and they have to, like, show her the ropes, show her how to— basically check someone out and I, for, I forgot about this really annoying aspect of the video store was <laughs> like so do you have a membership so what you know what's your name on your membership all those all that kind of stuff what's your phone um, number what's your yeah what's your phone number what's your address yeah. what's your social security number yeah, it's like god damn maybe not social security number but like credit card number yeah. uh, what i thought was interesting they needed her credit card was that because of like well, if you if you if, say you stole something, yeah, was it for for that so reason? So you can kind be charged like later. Yeah, kind of like you have, how you have to give a credit card at like a hotel or well, something. Well, now, nowadays everything's logged into computers. You know the way they did credit yeah. cards then, and you can still do they it. Had this the they had a swiper. Yeah, I've used I've yeah. used a swiper. Um, I remember those. Yeah, so so um, <clears throat> so yeah, they get all our information, and by the end of it. The new employee um, says, "Shell you know, like, so that's how you check out. A, that's how you check out a customer." She's like, "No, that's how a customer checks out an employee." Yeah, I know. <laughs> she was picking up on you the whole time. She yeah. was. Uh, so, so then we move on to where uh, Cheryl's kind of working on her her documentary, where she she interviews people on the street. Yeah. Uh, well, they ask him questions about, do you, know, do you know the watermelon woman? Yeah, you're the watermelon woman. And then some people are like, no. There, the funny <laughs> no. thing is, is there's one woman that literally actually gets it right, kind of. Like, she's like, she sounds like, like a, an actress maybe from the 40s or 50s. She sound, like, she gets it right, technically. She says it. Yeah, she's like, oh, wasn't she? Yeah, wasn't she? Well, like, she doesn't really know for 30s, sure, but she's like, 40s? she's like, by her name, it sounds like she's an actress, some kind of actress from the 30s or 40s, or you know, like yeah. Mo- most people have no idea what she's talking yeah. about. One person was like, oh, is, 
Is she from Philly? Like, I think she's from Philly. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's and, that one that, you know, like, like make it. You can tell these people are lying. They don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just random people on the street. But this is kind of, we'll talk about something contemporary. I mean, you know that show, you know, Billy Eichner, Billy on the Street, where he yeah, would just oh, yeah. interview yeah. random people with, like, he would have, like, a celebrity guest with them or whatever, and he would just ask them random questions. Kind of reminded me of that. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> kind of yeah. reminded me of that. And, and it's just fascinating that she was doing this back in like the 90s as just like a segment in a movie and so she's doing that and then she interviews her mother yeah um and i I have to check as i don't know if it's her if it yeah it was her real mother irene dunye is credited in the movie as irene dunye and basically uh she's just asking her mother who the watermelon woman is and she's showing her pictures or showing her like you know, the cover of the the back of the VHS and whatnot. And then her mother's like, Oh yeah, we I think we saw her she was a singer. We saw her in like a club back in I don't know. She whenever. didn't seem very reliable though. <laughs> no, but that's the thing, is like that's what I was talking about earlier, where I was like, Oh, that's really coincidental. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you just happen to see this random actress in this thirties movies in a club. And of back course in, this like, is fictitious. The 50s so, and 60s. You know. Yeah, it's it's, it's acting. Yeah, it's all fictitious. It's, it's acting. And yeah. and you could tell you know, I, I, I have no idea who about Irene Dunier's mother. Uh I don't think she's an actress or well, anything like that. I, I, a lot of these people in this movie are probably not I was going to say if there's any negative about the movie is that this is they're not great actors you know like no even no, Cheryl Denae like, is not a great actor I mean it, personally I she's I well, yeah you yeah. can tell she's I not mean, she's not practiced some um, scenes she's great yeah some, yeah some scenes are a little rough but it's all part of I think the charm and the yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know the independent feel of the movie and basically, when you have only like a limited, limited budget to work with, you get oh, yeah. whoever you can, whenever you can, hold hold open auditions for whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, there's some, but there are some who are really, really bad. <laughs> there's a later scene in the movie with two with two people dressed as cops, and they look like they're wearing like Halloween costumes. Yeah, God. <laughs> yeah. They look like the hot cops from Arrested Development. If everyone remembers <laughs> that show, and just it just it's just weird. And then there was there's one actress who was at one of the one of the archives, and she, man, her some of her line readings, I was like, yeah, all right, I guess this was the best they had. <laughs> but it's part of the charm of the movie. But anyhow, she, she she's interviewing her mother, and her mother like identifies like you know yeah she was she was singing in the clubs in the in the Philadelphia back in the day. And then, and and her mother tells her about. Um, Didn't she give her the name the first? Yeah, no, no. This is she doesn't get the name until she visits some woman later on. Okay, but I think either her mother or the or her mother's friend uh, tells tells her about the guy who had who had like all the movie memorabilia. Yes, the guy Lee Edwards, and I'm trying to see here. Yeah, I think yeah he so so she goes and sees the guy with the mem- movie memorabilia first, I think, and he cause, yeah because she's trying to ask him about the watermelon woman and Martha Page yeah because Martha Page is the director this is important actually the director of Plantation Memories yeah. and they and, and they continued to work together a lot after that yes they did but I don't, I don't want to quite reveal sure 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 that relationship quite yet so she goes and visits this guy. 
And this guy has like all kind of movie posters and movie memorabilia and like film reels and like he's got his own little like IMDb archive working at his house. Yeah. <laughs> and it kind of reminds me a lot of myself uh, yeah. in a way. But the guy is he doesn't really know who the watermelon well, woman it, is, doesn't really know who Martha It, it very is. much paints the picture of what the movie's about, which so she you know, he's he's like, I'm looking for this black actress he's like i don't really know much of, i don't my, i don't have expertise in black actresses from that time uh, no he doesn't yeah. she, she, she kind of like calls him out well, to- like, yeah, her, fr- her, his, her friend calls him out on he's like oh, well yeah, obviously she's got the camera yeah, yeah. yeah well, obviously yeah. and it goes to show that predominantly when it's come to movie education you know cinema education and just cinema you know, aficionados and all that kind of stuff. It's very male dominated. And this, and this isn't just them. It, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this about myself. I know way yeah. more about male filmmakers than I do female, and that, and that's something I want to, I want to be able to change. Yeah, you know? and it's really because, and it's, and it's part of the education system. It's part of the awareness. It's part of the just the history of cinema in general. I think is very extremely male dominated. Yeah. In terms of like what we learn about when we learn about cinema, yeah. you know, the golden age of cinema, we learn about all these great um, filmmakers and stuff like that. But it's all men. It's all usually men. yeah. And you know, the only time we really learn about actresses, and the only time we really learn about women when it comes to their involvement in film is when they're actresses. Yeah. You know, you really have to dig. You really have to look past that when we learn that. You know what? Back in you know the back in the day. Women were editors. Women were costume designers. Women were, you know, working on, you know, productions of films. You know, back in the, you know, the teens and 20s in the silent era, women were prominent directors, really famous directors. And it's really, you really have to, like, do your own history, history, history diving or diving into history about all this and, like, kind of learning this stuff. There's not really a lot of stuff they typically teach in film schools, at least for the most part. Yeah. But... I think the scene in the film really depicts that well, where it's a male-dominated when it comes to learning about the history of movies. Because all the posters and all this archives and all this kind of stuff he has, it's all cool stuff, but it's all about men. Yeah. It has nothing to do with, you know, unnamed black actresses in the 30s. So he's a really no-help. And he's a black, and he's a black man. True. That's, yes, that, that's, true. that's what's also kind of a, another layer of it. Um, but um, but he yeah. gives her um, um, kind of like a history lesson of you know the way Philadelphia was in like the twenties, thirties, and forties, and how um, you know the club scene was and stuff like that, and how it was really you know bopping back in the day, really bopping back in the day, and and it so gives her you know another clue for her to build upon to go to you know look for something else. But Cheryl also meets Shirley, who is not only a a gay woman like herself, but this is where we really find the identity of the watermelon woman. And we find out that her name is actually Faye Richards, and she was like a like a club lounge singer or whatever. She was like a singer back in the day, and they used to see see her on stage and stuff in Philadelphia. Yeah. And we also find out that Faye Richards, the watermelon woman, is also a gay woman too, a lesbian. Yes. And 
And it's really fascinating how all these things kind of connect to the Cheryl character uh, personally. And and we also see that, and it's really kind of interesting how we're seeing all this tapestry and all these puzzle pieces come together. Yeah, so I think from there, do we get this we go back to the video store and yeah let's talk about this scene because <laughs> the scene was effing hilarious yeah yeah, <laughs> this scene was yeah so hilarious. so so the so boss like com- the boss comes yeah. in and he has a stack of movies that apparently were requested and by by, by someone a, a, a miss rawlings and right this is of course an attempt at a scam by what we talked about earlier and now we talked about how tamara is like obsessed with with sexuality, you know, she not obsessed, yeah, but she not obsessed, but, but she, she talks about it a lot, though. I mean, she yeah, she has a healthy, healthy sexual you know, appetite, and, and she decides she's very she like wants that, yeah. to look at some some male, you know, porn. Yeah, she's curious. She's curious. She wants she, she specifically apparently. But anywho, bald bald uh, <laughs> bald, was like, like yeah. bald male black big black bald men. Yes. <laughs> anywho, so for those of you who aren't with it, back in the nineties, you could rent. Porn. Pornography yeah. from many a video store. They would usually have a a special section. Yeah. That would probably be uh in the back somewhere. Yeah, behind a curtain. Yeah. Behind usually behind a curtain or some bead some some beads or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would be behind a door. Anywho, a special section where like I guess the, the light would be a little bit lower, so I guess people couldn't see each other <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? So basically back in the nineties you could do this. Um, and I think that that, like those types of special places in video stores, I think, well, survived well into the DVD era. Oh, it, yeah, definitely. Uh, of, of of renting movies. Now, of course, these places um, were not in like your chains, like Blockbuster. You'd have to go no, to a Blockbuster more a more privately owned no. video store. Yeah, not even yeah, no no real chains had it, but like local video the, stores. The closest have them. to a chain that ever had an adult section was Fye. Fye had it. They did yeah. have an adult section. Yeah. Holy, they still do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but when we say adult section, we, yeah, we're right. But what they did at Fye, and maybe, I think they still do. I don't know if they got rid of them yet. Um, it's been a while since I've been in Fye. Um, but they used to have them. Uh, they would put like like covers over they'd the put DVDs. Black, like black covers over the the adult films. Yeah, they would. They're like they stoppers would, like, for the movies and they're all they're, yeah, yeah, they would cover they would cover them and stuff, but to be honest, they that's not much of a protection against like some yeah, well. some random like a child or someone wasn't expecting it could just go in and just remove the cover because it wasn't like there were there wasn't a lock and key you just kind of like lifted up the cover and there it was you know it's not yeah well it's not exactly secure you gotta see it anywho, somewhere that's true <laughs> uh, i guess that's true i mean but yeah, I guess you that's know. true but anywho that kind of lasted all the way into the dvd era of renting movies and what happens is for is tamara the character decides to rent some pornographic videotapes under uh, uh, under Guinevere Turner's character's name. and But what happened is one of them they couldn't get for some reason. Yeah. Like, I guess, like, their supplier just didn't have it. It reminded me a lot of that scene in Clerks where Randall is, he's calling up the distributor and he's, like, like ordering a bunch of stuff and it's all pornographic movies and there's just, like, a woman and her kid, like, standing right there <laughs> or whatever. And it's just, like, 
yeah, that's kind of that's the kind of shit that would happen in the '90s because in the '90s people have to remember, man, people. It wasn't like it is now culturally. Growing up in the '90s, you were exposed to a lot of stuff very quickly, very fast, in terms of like you know whether it be sexuality stuff or whether it be you know stuff you weren't supposed to be seeing at such a young age. I don't know if that was the case with you, Stephen, but I, it was sure. kind of the, you know what I mean. I just felt like like if you go back and watch movies that are set in the '90s, the language is so non politically correct, so non you know the oh, way yeah. it is now. You know what I mean? Like like back in the '90s, like when you were a kid, you could stay out all day roaming the neighborhood with your friends. You can't. How many times do you see that now? Hardly ever. No, I, you know I, what I mean? It's a completely I, different world. I, I think I think we, we definitely, uh, there was a lot more of an opportunity to to, to be exposed to things like this. Um, and yeah. nowadays you can m- much more easily access things I mean, like this. And I'm this. not saying, any, yeah, I'm not saying any of that was right. No, I'm no, just no, saying no, I'm that not saying that's it was the right, way but it, it was. But, but it was, it was, the culture was more, um, it was different. Was, de- was different, different then. And, and, you know, there was a lot of ignorance back then. Definitely. Really a lot of ignorance when it came to a lot of the stuff people were exposed to, you know, the at young ages and whatnot. But that but I'm just saying that like for example, like I just said, you know, there's a video that video store, you know, looks like everybody went in there, you know, and yet they still had pornographic videotapes yeah. in it. You know what I mean? And that's just kind of the way it was. And basically so she so she um she ordered it under her name, and just so happens that Guinevere Turner's character happens to be in the video store back that on that exact same moment. Yeah, of course. And, and and she's like, "Yeah, I want to check these two out." And then the guy's like, "Oh yeah, I'll, he's gonna check her check her out." And he goes, "Oh yeah, Miss Rollins, we have those videotapes you requested." <laughs> and meanwhile, Cheryl and Tamara are behind him, like trying to signal her to being like, "Yeah, just go with it, you know, just go with it." Mm-hmm. And she's like, and then she just she and she's a good sport, just kind of rolls with yeah. it. Um, and then and, and then uh, Cheryl goes up to her and, and thanks her, like, yeah, thank you for doing that. You know, sometimes we have this scam where, you know, we rent tapes under like a random person's name. Uh, and we preview them. We basically get them. We get them for free, essentially. Yeah. But then she. Uh, so then this is where uh, she she makes her Di- move. Diana on them. says, "Yeah, Diana says, hey, if you want these tapes, you're gonna have to come by my place." And then Cheryl's like, "Oh, what's your address?" And she's like, "Oh, look it up. I'm in the I'm in the system, yeah. I guess." And it's like, "Oh, hey now." Yeah. So then she goes back to them, and she's like, "She's like, yeah, she'll she's she." I think it was Tamara said that she, you know, she's gonna give you the tapes, and she's like, "Yeah, but I have to go pick them up at her place." And they're like, "Oh, mm, okay." Yeah, yeah. But what we did, what we didn't say though, is that Tamara has this kind of thing against Diana's character, or at least the relationship between Cheryl and Diana. It come, it, it slowly grows as the movie goes along, and in the next like kind of part of the movie, it's when it really kind of explodes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it so that's where that relationship is kind of going. So we move on to. Do you want to go to? Um... Well, she did. She... Hold on, I'm looking at stuff here. Um, do you want to go to where she picks up the tapes? Basically, uh, yeah, she, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's go to that. I mean, so basically, yeah. the, she goes and picks up the tapes at Gwyneth Turner's place, and we learn, uh, like, st- like we learn about. St- like, like their relationship there. I mean, they really hit it off pretty well. Um, there's a whole yeah. They have um, there's a whole really 
uh, like I said, gra- graphic. Yeah, honest sex scene between the two of them. You know, very. Uh, yeah, very I think I think it's very well filmed. I mean, it's it, like it's very. It is very well filmed. Yeah, it's very. It's 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 not too long. You know, it's not like a gratuitous. It's not gratuitous. It's very natural. I think. Oh yeah, and which is, you know, and there's no like. It's not like a Hollywood sex scene or anything like that with like you know, saxophone music playing and stuff like that. You know what I mean? But I'll do say this, though. She gets very, very intimate angles yeah. in terms of the camera work and stuff like that. So you really get the sense of the intimacy of, you know, two people having sex with one another. Yeah. It's a very intimate act. I don't, I don't think I need to explain that to people. No. But but so, so that's, so their relationship is hitting it off. And what Cheryl comes to realize is that, like, you know, Diana's not typically her type of woman, but she likes being with her. Yeah. And I think that's kind of that's kind of interesting how we're le- how Cheryl's learning about stuff about herself, about learning about her, you know, sexual, you know, her sexual tastes and things like that. Um and I guess it's a good time to say, you know, bring this up. I mean, I know Guinevere Turner from her work as a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh screenplay writer. She she has written screenplay. She, uh, I think, is most well known for writing a, writing the screenplay for um, talk about sexual movie or uh, just sexually aggressive movie, uh, American Psycho. Yeah, uh, the Mary Harron film. She also wrote the script for this movie called Go Fish, which came out in 1994, and that's important because it's a movie that also inspired a lot of the aspects of. I think Kevin Smith's best film in Chasing Amy, um, and which Gwyneth Turner was also in that movie as well. Yeah, in in a small scene, and in in part of the plot of that movie was um, was actually taken from something in I believe the movie Go Fish, and just Gwyneth Turner in general. And I thought that was just really kind of fascinating how all of these, you know, independent movie worlds are connecting with one another in the 90s. It's like six degrees of independent cinema mm-hmm. in the 90s. Um, but Gwyneth Turner is also an actress. She's been, she has 60 film credits to her name. Um, she was also actually in American Psycho. She's in one scene in that movie as well. Um, but yeah, I just know Gwyneth Turner. She's a very striking woman on screen. I thought she was really interesting how they, how she was in this movie. And just how what her character kind of represents, and I think we'll get into that a little. We'll get into that relatively soon, um, because the her character unknowingly, unwittingly drives a pretty harsh wedge between Cheryl and Tamara's friendship. Um, and I thought I found that to be very interesting. That brings up a whole other kind of thematic exploration of the relationships between uh, black and white people, and just you know the black community in general but we'll get in, I'll touch upon that a little bit later but let's get back to what Cheryl's been working on Cheryl back to her movie uh, she meets with one of the most pretentious <laughs> uh, cultural critic almost like a film professor that I've ever seen and basically what Cheryl has also learned is that Martha Page and Faye Richards had a relationship with one another, had a, you know, a romantic relationship with one another. And that is something completely unheard of when it comes to the times in which those people lived. Yeah. And what is interesting is that she, is that she, 
she brings up she brings that up to this intellectual if you will this cultural critic this i guess maybe film historian and she's like and she just not does not dismisses it outrightly but it's one of those if you've Talk, I mean, we just talked about how difficult it is to have intellectual conversations with people. But then you get the people who are on the far end of the spectrum, <laughs> the snooty people, the pretentious people, the people who, who like, think they know everything. I've come across these college professors, <laughs> trust me. And basically, she just she, if it's not something that they've heard about specifically or know, they're, they kind of dismiss it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's that level of snootiness. And this woman is so snooty. And it's really fascinating just to see that end of the spectrum. And how and but she was kind of well versed in like uh the mammy archetypes and things like that. Like we talk about with Hattie McDaniel and things like that. But what Cheryl also does is she goes to the Center for Lesbian Information and Technology. You can put that anagram together wow. for yourself. Um, and she finds photographs of Faye Richards, including one photograph given by Faye to a June Walker. And what is funny about this scene is that we talked about earlier about, you know, how there were just like these archives you had to go through and sift through papers and books and pictures to find, you know, information. There wasn't like the wide world of, of information we have today where you can just, you know, you can just Google search anything today. You can probably find an answer mm-hmm. to it. Um, and so she's there and for some reason, but the person who's like kind of running the place is a little, a little odd. He's <laughs> <laughs> a little odd. And this was the woman I referenced earlier who, uh, not the best line reading actress I've ever seen. <laughs> she's, she's not great. Basically, they she doesn't want them photographing anything or recording anything, yet she must know that, that there's a person there holding a camera. What do you think they're doing? So she keeps trying to like get her to like, you know, stop, you know, stop holding that up to the camera, stop photographing it. Basically, they get kicked out of that institute. Yeah. <laughs> but she's got information that she that she that she needs now. And Cheryl and Cheryl also manages to contact Martha Page's sister, younger sister. And this is an interesting scene because this scene is done entirely through narration. And there's a lot of narration in the movie, which we really didn't cover. And this is a scene that I found to be very interesting, but it's also a scene that we see in a lot of movies. Yeah. In a lot of like mainstream movies when it comes to, uh, you know, family members having to deal with the sexual identity of their other family members and the denial of that, the straight up denial. Um, So Martha's younger sister basically just denies that Martha ever had a sexual relationship or romantic relationship with Faye Richards. And also she is very, very racist. (laughs) She is very racist. Basically she was like, oh yeah, my sister had a great life before, you know, certain people came around and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I guess we know what you mean, Miss Racist Lady. Um, And they basically get kicked out of there too. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, well, that's what happens when you're, you're delving into something that nobody seems to care about and wants to keep a secret, you know? Yeah, when you're delving into, like, people's past lives and people's personal lives, sometimes other people who were involved in those personal lives 
don't want to talk about it or don't want to be a part of it or straight up deny the actual reality of it for i guess their own prejudice their own prejudices and it's and it's just really interesting how the way that scene was was done um but but Cheryl uh, but from there Cheryl and Diana are uh, we see them they grow closer together i think they're having a double date dinner yeah type thing with Tamara and the woman that she's seeing um and basically we just learned we learned a lot about um Diana how she basically has like she grew up like all over the world she was born in Jamaica she she's very like she's very into kind of like black culture and stuff like that and and all this kind of stuff. And what we see throughout the, that sequence is that Tamara is just, like, interrogating her and is really dismissive of her. Yeah. And it's a really, like I said, dry, like, she's she's kind of driven a wedge through the Cheryl and Tamara rela- uh, friendship. Well, she accuses her of, of trying to be black. Yes. And, 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 and then... That, and this is the whole line yeah. that I brought. This is what I was talking about earlier about, like... That's an interesting conversation to bring up in this movie that already has so many different conversations. In it's it. it's a it's a it's definitely a subject matter that has been kind of brought up in other movies, even even as recent as now. I mean, like um, the movie Blind Spotting. Yeah, I was just thinking. Yeah, that. Um, that came out a couple years ago has very much similar um, situation where the two leads, one being white, one being black, are friends, but one. The white friend seems to always try to get them in trouble, and it's like he's he he tries to to be part you know very close to the black community. He tries to do what a lot of what black culture is, and it's like he kind of blurs that line because he thinks that being a certain way is being black, but it's not really what all black people are like. You know, like yeah, it's it's like what is it brings up like you know what defines being black culture yeah. versus white culture. What you know. Cultural appropriation is another thing people like to discuss. Yeah. I mean, this idea of, and just kind of the idea of interracial relationships as well. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who still frown upon that in the modern world, and even sometimes your friends can frown upon if you're ha- if you're in an interracial relationship. You know, people that you you know have come to, you know, love and trust, and you know they're your best friends. You know, they you think that they would be cool with. You being happy with whomever you're with, but sometimes that's not the case. Prejudices can tend to crop up everywhere. Yeah, and so I thought that that was really fascinating. And she, and she, and Tamara accuses Cheryl of like trying to be white, and that's something that's also another conversation starter yeah. as well. And I thought that was really, really fascinating. And doesn't and just and she believes that Diana may just have a fetish for black people. That's another thing. Sometimes white people can have a fetish for black people or for black culture or whatever. And yeah, there's so much happening in this movie. And there's so many different things that are going on. And just a lot of that's what I think makes this movie kind of timeless yeah. and very contemporary Definitely. because all of these discussions, all these themes are still really prevalent today. Yep. Now, so more than ever, especially the racial stuff and especially a black representation in film. You know, we we're still having this discussion now about my it's more been expanded to uh, female representation, minority representation in general. And and we're also talking about you know disability representation as well. Well, and, and, and queer it's and queer representation. 
queer representation. I mean, it just it the the discussions never end because yeah. it doesn't ever seem to be in a solution to any of this. Um, at least a at least at least a solution anytime soon that would cover everything. Uh, but uh, so moving on now, Cheryl decides that she's going to. Um, I it's, it does she have? It's not quite a breakup scene. But it's a it's a fight that she has with Diana, and it's kind of the last scene we see with Diana, is when they're together in bed, and Di- and Cheryl just like, and, and Cheryl and Cheryl. Well, she decides she like, wants to go work on her project. Yeah, but they have this little like little f- tiny little fight, where Diana says something like, "My, what was it like, my, I don't some some." Um, oh, she had like three ex-black like boyfriends when she was younger, or something like that. And then she had like a relative who married who married someone who was black, or something like that. And that really like that kind since since Tamara planted that idea of uh, you know Diana having the fetish for black people, yeah. maybe that kind of like er- like is playing on Cheryl's mind yeah. in that moment. And she's like, maybe Tamara is right. You know what I mean? And that kind of like gets like she's like, I just I just gotta go. I gotta get out of here. But but it's not really a breakup scene. And we never get to see like where if that is that relationship over or is it gonna continue? We never get that type of closure with that plot line in the movie. Um because we move on to where Cheryl's kind of wrapping up the the journey of her documentary. And this and she and she continues her next step where she she phones um, Cheryl Cheryl phones June Walker, who was Faye's like uh, partner or girlfriend for twenty years, and they arrange to meet. And when Cheryl gets there, apparently she she went she she's been taken to the hospital. Yeah. And does she end up dying? Or we don't she... ever know. We just we don't really know that end of that plot yeah. line ever. Uh, she just kind of meets like a neighbor, and the neighbor says, "Yeah, they took her away in a hot in, in an ambulance like yesterday or something like that." And but she leaves, she leaves a letter for Cheryl, and the letter basically tells her that that like you know when I heard you bring up the name Martha Page, I got mad. I was upset because you know I. Because Martha really didn't have anything to do with Faye's Faye's real life, essentially, or something like Basically that. Basically, that 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 who Faye was was not propped up by this white white, white woman. woman, you know. Yeah, and it's yeah, and, and Faye was so much more than I believe what Cheryl had come to know who Faye was. Yeah, you know, the watermelon woman, the woman who was in these movies and stuff like that. But she was so much more than that. And, and I thought that was really interesting how the letter basically told Faye to, to tell the history, tell the history of, you know, Faye, the Faye, not only Faye Richardson, but I think all of the Faye Richardsons yeah. in quotes, you know what I mean? All the women like Faye Richardson. And, you know, and, and it, because, there's an interesting yeah. parallel there with, you know, where she's trying to say, <clears throat> you know, not not to not to kind of like not define her by um, the director 
um, yeah. which is, you know, a white woman, just kind of how, you know, Diana and Cheryl are, you know, a mixed couple. There's kind right. of like an interesting parallel there. Oh, yeah, there's a connection there. You yeah. know, uh, where we're talking about interracial relationships and, you know, do am I defining myself by her, we, our own individuals, and um, I think that there's an... A, an evolution between the, the the two relationships um and maybe that's what maybe she figures out by the end of the movie for her own relationship with diana through yeah you know. because and what is interesting is the movie you know ends in a very not a sad state i would say a real state basically you know She's not with Diana anymore, I believe. So that kind of... We don't really get to see that dissolution of that relationship on screen. But apparently it's no longer a thing. Tamara and her are no longer speaking with one another. Um, But, you know, they've... But she's come to the end of a journey. And her journey of discovering Faye Richards. And basically we get to see in the last... I don't know, what's it, like 15 minutes of the movie or so? We get to see, like her documentary yeah yeah and we get to see where she goes through the life and career of Faye Richards as she has come to know her as you know the watermelon movie the with the water the watermelon <laughs> woman the watermelon movie uh, <clears throat> the watermelon woman but you know but discover but like how but also celebrating there there's a scene in the in her you know movie where she holds up all the pictures of all the act, the black actresses, you know, who've played the mammy roles, who've played the watermelon woman roles, and she's just holding them up in front of the camera and flipping through them. Yeah. And just kind of, kind of, you know, honoring them, but also, there, there was also a part of the letter from June Walker that said, you know, you know, you have gotten to this moment because of them as well. You know, they paved a way for you as well, and it's a way to honor them. It's a really, the film, now I'm telling you, The Watermelon Woman, for for as rough as this film is, you know, when it comes to the technical stuff, when it comes to the acting that we've said, that we've pointed out, man, there's so many levels of deepness in there. It's really really good because you can build upon this and then further explore out because because the watermelon woman is fictitious you know the movies that she was in were fictitious but there were other watermelon women out there who we can look up and discover for ourselves as as movie viewers so the film kind of just sets you off on a path of like educational discovery yeah you know in cinema which i, th- I think that's really a fantastic part of the movie yeah i think it all makes the movie so good yeah, i think it also you know when it comes to the narrative part of the story where you know like you said where <clears throat> you know she kind of separates with diana and, and tamara and um it shows how sometimes when it when it comes to getting you know getting to the truth of things um the people that can't seem to see the truth for what it is uh are the ones that maybe really ain't the people that you need in your life, you know, like, I mean, like even her friend Tamara, who were, they were really good friends before, couldn't seem to, to see things the same way that she, she mm-hmm. saw things. Um, <clears throat> Would you say that Cheryl perhaps outgrew her friend Tamara? D- yeah, maybe. Yeah. Because there is, I, I believe there's a part in the movie where, where Cheryl kind of, 
just says that tomorrow kind of just sees things on a very surface level. Yeah. You know what I mean? We see what tomorrow's interests interests are, and they seem rather. I wouldn't say superficial. They just seem more the more there surface seems, level. They seem to be one dimensional. They seem to be more surface level when it comes to just you know human interaction and stuff like that. She doesn't want to. She doesn't seem like someone who wants to have a deep discussion about you know the history of you know black women in cinema. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. She doesn't seem like a type of person. Well, she, every time and, she tries to, she her she's helping. Cheryl, it's always, you know, she's trying to get out of it or she's trying to rush through it or she's not really involved, right. you know, at all. Yeah, she doesn't really want to, you know, she wants to help out, but not really help out. But only know, in a way, only in a means to get her to hang out with her to do other things. Yeah, you know? I guess you could say that. You know. I mean, yeah. And it's, and sometimes, I mean, you, you, you go through life and you, and sometimes you outgrow people as well. You know what I mean? There's sometimes you just you're just moving in different directions from people that you've known forever. Yeah. You know, you know, you can move in direction from your very closest best friend. Sometimes you just drift away into and that's the way the world in life takes you. And the film is very real in that perspective as well. And it's very real in the sense that, you know, sometimes relationships don't work out. Yeah. Good relationships too, from what we saw. You know, her relationship with Diana seemed to be a good relationship. They seemed to be connected with one another, and for whatever reason, just didn't didn't and work yeah, out. She, I think maybe by the end of it, maybe she, as you said, maybe questioned whether Diana's um, interest in her was uh, pure or not, and and maybe that's partly yeah. because of her friend's I mean, suggestion. I mean, it, and and it very well could have been self sabotage from Cheryl's standpoint. It could standpoint. have been definitely, and that's also very real. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> very, very definitely. <laughs> but it's it's something um, I think she she maybe learned after her experience on the documentary that maybe, you know, maybe, maybe in the future past the movie, she got back together with Diana. Who, who knows? For all, yeah. For all we know, what yeah. watermelon woman too. Electric yeah, Boogaloo, yeah, there's always an electric boogaloo somewhere. <laughs> That's true. Um, so I guess we'll wrap this up, uh, right now. Cause we've gone through the whole movie and really did a deep dive into it, at least a deep dive for us. And yeah, this has been the Watermelon Woman, and, and this out. is a hard movie to do a deep dive on because there's not a lot of info about it. Um, it's a very you know what, yeah. There's not a lot of info about it, but there's a I just just Google Cheryl Dunier's name, and you will find uh, like interviews and and stuff like that about her because apparently this movie's had quite a bit of a revival yeah. over the last several years or so. Because I did say it is like it's it is over twenty years old. It is a movie that is celebrated amongst, you know, the LGBTQ community. And it's an important movie within that, you know, in new queer cinema, in queer cinema in general. And it's a really good movie. It's a great movie. But it's, like I said, it's kind of tough to find to watch. Because if you, you know, if you don't know about it, you know, I just happened to stumble across it because random people were talking about it one time on, like, Twitter. And it happened to be streaming on, um, you know... Uh, happened to be streaming on on Criterion Channel at the time, as well as a bunch of her short films were on there for a little bit last year as well. So if you can find her work, I would recommend highly recommend watching her work. Her short films are really good, and The Watermelon Woman is also really good. I've seen a couple of her other feature films as well. Definitely different. Different than The Watermelon Woman. Um, but I also wanted to see... Um, yeah, I, I just want to see where 
where it was available. I don't know if... if uh, I know there's no Blu-ray available. I want to see if there's a DVD available. There's a DVD, uh, but it's 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 like very almost old. basically out of print, you know. Like, mm. um, I, there needs to be some kind of restoration of this and put put out. It's so somebody needs to do it because there's no reason why it shouldn't have it. So a good yeah, physical DV- media. Yeah, the DVD had a 20th anniversary edition in 2017, and that's available for 20 bucks on Amazon. Okay. Uh, it is available to stream, uh, to rent. I stream. I streamed, like I said, on the Criterion Channel. I also streamed I don't, it. I don't think it's a, it, it's not on there anymore. Um, no, it's not. Uh, I, I, I went places. to Fandor. Um, yeah, did you film? Did you stream it there? Yeah, yeah. Fandor. I, I was able. You, know, you can get a free trial, and and that's what I did. And you know where I streamed it from? Of all places, uh, Showtime. Oh, okay. <laughs> Showtime had it streaming. I was like, okay. Um, there's other places that have it streaming as well. Um, I just have to look them up. <laughs> I, I think there's. I up. think Hulu also. It, I think yeah, you can you can rent it obviously. Yeah. On like Amazon and stuff like that to stream. Um, I really like. I said I really want a Blu-ray edition of this movie. Yes. I don't know what. I don't this know, sounds. What this for. sounds like a this Criterion. Is up, this is a yeah. This sounds like Criterion. Yeah. It sounds like Criterion. I was going to say maybe even Kino, because uh, Kino seems to is getting their hands on everything. He gets their hands days. on everything, but I'd, I'd rather a Criterion. <laughs> so would I. So, I mean, so would I just for, I don't know, pompous sake. But <laughs> either way, give me some special features. Give me some new special yeah. features. I want new interviews and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, you can, yeah, you can, uh, you can stream it if you have subscriptions to DirecTV, FanDor, uh, Canopy, which you can... You can actually sign up to Canopy if you have a, a like a library card. Yeah, that's how you sign up for Canopy. Like I said, Showtime has it. Um, yeah, it was it, so it's available to see, but it's but it's something you have to discover. And and yes, um, you gotta spend. You know, you to find movies like this, you gotta want to want to look. You know, like it's you know, there's a lot of people out there that that are doing much more, doing a lot better podcasts than we are doing. That have a lot more knowledge. Um, and can give you a lot of great examples of great, you know, hidden gems. You know, um, mm, you just gotta yeah. want to. You just gotta want to find this stuff. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people much more knowledgeable than us about this stuff, and that's where I learn a lot of. And my that's stuff. where I learn a lot of my stuff. Yeah, yeah, don't don't ever be afraid or to not know something when it comes to movies, because then you'll never learn anything. No, you really. That's won't. right. Um, well. I think that's a good stopping point, and now <laughs> I'm gonna put Andrew on the spot. Woo, 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 woo! It's of his turn. Man, you know what's crazy? I completely forgot about this until right this moment. But I will make things up on the spot, like he I will make do. things up on the spot. So if you don't, if you if you're new, uh, we usually try to go back and forth um, on choosing a film, uh, and we try to choose films that the other person hasn't seen maybe, or, or, or even just in general is just a, uh, you know, out of nowhere movie, um, kind of like this one, you know, Watermelon Woman is not a very well-known, uh, movie. Um, so we try to keep it, uh, as interesting as we can. Sometimes we'll throw in, in some re- more relevant stuff just for fun. Um, but we try to keep it, more about discovering something new um right and so this is andrew's turn it is and does andrew have something in mind 
Oh, man, I've got a couple things in oh, mind. Oh, man, this is... I've been on kind of like a a Japanese cinema... Uh, rip. Rip. I was going to say kick lately, <laughs> but not really a kick. Rip like, kick. Sometimes, sometimes I fall into Japanese cinema holes, and I've been trying to not fall into one recently, but I kind of, kind of want to. But I'm thinking of something... Um, not, not, I don't want to go Kurosawa just because I could always go Kurosawa. Um, so I want to go something a little, a little more off the beaten path. Uh, I mean, I always want to go to like Ozu or something like that, but I kind of want to go someplace else. Oh, Jesus. I don't know. You know what? <laughs> I kind of want to talk about this movie just because cinema, I don't know if Steven has seen it before. Uh, so I kind of want him to watch it. Okay. So he, so he can get my... So I can get my, so I can get his his gist of it. I'm looking at it right now. I'm gonna go with uh, Ugetsu. Okay, I haven't Uge- I haven't seen it yet. This Ugetsu is yeah. Is Kenzo is Kenji Mizuguchi. Um, Kenji, yeah, Kenji Mizuguchi's yeah. film. He did uh, Ugetsu. He did Sancho the Bailiff, which is amazing. I've seen Sancho the Bailiff. Yes. Yeah, uh, he did. I, I saw a couple of his other films, but he's also done Life of Oharu. He's done. Didn't I see this movie? The Story of the Last Chrysanthemum is another film I have from him. Um, yeah, he's yeah he's a really good director. I almost was gonna go with something from the from the director of Harakiri, who mm. is Kobayashi. Um, Kobayashi. Yeah. Um, that would have just been another you trying to do something for me. You know, you were you were well, thinking. You know. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I mean, he's not. I mean, yeah, he's done. I mean. Kobayashi's done more than just uh, samurai. Yeah, films. of course. Yeah, like like quiet. Like quiet oh, God, that really movie's good. so good. Um, samurai Rebellion. I don't know if you ever checked that. Yes, out. That I really have. Cool yes. Too. Um, what else have I seen? What is this movie? All right, about? well we're going down. To, we're yeah, going because I watched I watched Black River the other day, and that was another uh, Kobayashi yeah. film. But anywho, Ugetsu is like this ghost story, surreal movie. Um, I'm pretty sure I haven't. I really se- I'm pretty it. sure I haven't seen it, but I I don't. Think you? I have. don't think I have, but I mean, who knows? But you know, I I almost went with yeah. We got to get out of here because I'm just going to talk about all kind of stuff. But I wanted to check one more thing, and before we really get out of here, I want to see if it was the same director. But it no, Kaneto Shindo did Kuroneko, which is another yeah, I ghost, know just, yeah. Japanese ghost film. He also did Onibaba. Yes, yes, film. that's good. Anywho, before we start talking about Japanese cinema, because we'll do that next time. Um, uh, do you want to take us out? Yeah, well, because I yeah. don't remember. I don't remember the outro. <laughs> well, usually I'm the one that does it. Uh, where can we find you, Andrew? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can find me on Instagram at Cinema Discovery Project, or on Letterboxd at Cinema Discovery. Uh, you can find the audio for this podcast on Podbean and Apple Podcasts. Thank you once again for listening. Hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will. <laughs>